that is our desire to worship you, to glorify your name. So Lord, as we look into your word, we ask that you would speak to us so that we may continue to worship you. Teach us and train us, mold us and make us more like Jesus Christ through your Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Martin Luther was the father of the Protestant Reformation, as many of you know. And he had a good friend, an assistant by the name of Frederick Myconius. This is back in 1540. Myconius became really sick and word got to Martin Luther that Myconius was just about to die. He was on his deathbed. And he wrote a farewell letter to his friend Martin Luther. And when Luther read the message, he immediately sent this reply. He said, I command you in the name of God to live because I still have need of you in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to survive. For this I am praying. This is my will. And may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Let me ask you, would you have the courage to write a letter like that? Of course. You're in church, that's the right answer, I guess. Those words kind of seem a little bit bold, don't they? My will is for you to be well, so because I got work for you to do, Therefore, God is not going to let you die. That's really what Luther said. Marconius, when he received the letter, he couldn't even speak. He'd lost that ability. But as Luther sent that letter and as Luther started to pray for his friend, his friend started to get well. He actually ended up living six more years. And he didn't die until two months after Martin Luther had died. That is the power of prayer. And today we're going to look in the book of Ephesians, as we've been going through, about the power of prayer. Because Paul talks about, and he stops his letter here, to pray for the church in Ephesus. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We've been looking together about Paul's journey here to the church in Ephesus, his, his writing. He talks, of, first of all, about grace, doesn't he? That by grace we are saved. It's, it's a gift from God. It's not anything that we can earn. God freely gives us that gift of grace. And then he says, we are God's workmanship. God has handcrafted us, has made us, created us in Christ Jesus to do good works. Then he goes on to say that this new body is, is not like the old one. The temple, the, the, the promised people of Israel, we have been grafted into that as Gentiles. The two have become one. And we looked at the different dividing walls of the temple. And, and Paul says that each one of those has been knocked down by Jesus Christ. And we are the living temple of God. All his followers, regardless of your background, your age, If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have Christ living in you, then you are part of the temple of God. 
And then last week we looked and continue to look on about why God has raised up this new temple. It's not just to be a witness to one another, not even to be a witness to those outside, but we are to be a witness to all the cosmic forces in the heavenly realms, he says. And how are we going to do that? Well, he gives us the way that we can do it in the next part, which is his prayer for the church in Ephesus. Look in chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family, his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul here is talking about how we can be witnesses, both to those around us, but also to the heavenly realm. And I want to look at this passage in a little bit more detail. And as we do it, I'm going to use the acrostic of prayer, P-R-A-Y-E-R. Because he brings out these kind of different things within this little passage. Things that we need to grasp hold of in our lives of prayer. So that we can be the the people that God wants us to be. First of all, he talks about prayer three times in this passage. Anytime you see something three times, it's really significant. In in Hebrew uh, understanding, you would repeat something if you want to emphasize it. So it would be like us saying very, you know. Ronnie is very handsome. He's not just handsome. He's slightly better than handsome. He's very handsome. Now, if we wanted to say he was even more handsome than the very handsome people, what would you say? Very, very. Well, in Hebrew, if he is the ultimate handsome guy, you know, you can't get any more handsome people than Ronnie, you would say he's very, very, very handsome. In fact, in Hebrew, what they would just do is say that he is handsome, handsome, handsome. Right? Three times they would say he's handsome, and then he would be approaching what Karen knows him to be. Right? So that's how it's done. And so three times, if you see something in a passage that's repeated three times, it means that the author really wants you to get hold of this. And he says three times he talks about power. Look in verse 16. He may strengthen you with power. Verse 18, may have power together with all the saints. And verse number 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Prayer, he says, is incredibly powerful. Paul is talking here. Paul is a man of prayer. Have you ever wondered why there are so many prayers written in the Bible? I mean, prayer is kind of a personal thing, isn't it? It's between me and God. But yet the Bible is full from beginning to end of prayer, isn't it? You have prayers of Moses. You have prayers of Abraham. You have prayers, all David's prayers, all through the Psalms. You have prayers of loads and loads of different people in the Scriptures because prayer is so essential to us. And they want us to understand the depths of prayer. 
And the first thing we need to grasp is that prayer is powerful. Look, look what he says, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that's all the riches of God, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Firstly, prayer strengthens us. We use prayer, prayer when we connect with God, when we talk to God, it strengthens us in our inner being. It gives us the strength and the power to go through the challenges of life, through the difficulties of life, through the barriers. He's just talked about in the previous uh, chapter about the barriers being broken down. And it's through prayer that those barriers, those strongholds of the enemy tumble down. And as we grow in our prayer life, so we will grow in the strength inside of us. We need that power within us to see us through those challenges. We need it for ourselves, but we also can get that strength from other people praying for us as well. Why do we ask people to pray? Why do we stand up here every Sunday and pray for those in need? And then right throughout the week in our chapel. Because the prayers of people provides that strength in the inner being, provides the presence of God into those situations that we're praying for. Prayer strengthens us, but also, he says, look in verse 18, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Prayer also gives us insight into God as well. We recognize, we experience the love of God as we pray to God, as we're connected with God. The power of God comes into us as we pray to Him, as we experience, as we open ourselves up to receive the love of God in our lives. We get that strength, but that strength often comes through God's love for us. Do you know how much God loves you? Can you grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you. So many people struggle with that because they compare the love of God with the love that we receive or don't receive from others. And they say, how could God really love me? I've done this or I've messed up here. Or I look at myself and I, I struggle with loving myself. But Paul says here, I want you to know how much God loves you. This is love that not that we love, but that God first loved us and that he gave himself for us. That's why he came and died, to show just how far he would go to love you and to love me. And he says, thirdly, that this love will help us or this power will help us accomplish things. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. He gives us the strength to accomplish whatever He wants us to accomplish. But now get this. Two things. Firstly, God will never ask you to do something that He won't give you the power to accomplish. You know that? He will never ever ask you to go through something. Never ever ask you to accomplish something that He doesn't give you all the resources to accomplish. You cannot stand before God at the end of time and say, well, you asked me to do this, but I didn't have it within me to do it. Because God said, I will give you everything you need to accomplish everything I'm asking you to do. He always gives us what we need. Always. But listen to this. Look what he says. 
He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Prayer is powerful, but is limited by the mount that is at work within us. He has the resources available, but he can't pour it into us if we restrict the power of God within us. You know why Martin Luther could pray like that and know that God's will was going to be done in that situation? Because he was an open channel for the power of God flowing through him. It's a little bit like, think about it at home. You know, sometimes your drain gets blocked, doesn't it? It's the most disgusting thing, isn't it? Have you ever cleaned a drain at home? It's kind of like hair and gunk, and you, you kind of pull it out. You know when you do it in your bath, and you pull it out, and this long string of just foreign objects come out of there? You know that it hasn't come off of your body. Some alien has come into your bath in the middle of the night, obviously showered themselves because it doesn't look anything like you or anybody else. It's horrible. But what happens to that stuff? Well, it clogs up, doesn't it? It clogs up and it it stops the water going down. So when you pull out the bathtub, what happens? Well, the water just sort of stays there. I'm always doing that in the kitchen because bits of peas and other bits go down your sink, doesn't it? And then you have to get your knife down and you ram it all the way down just so that the water goes out the bottom. Well, it's a little bit like that and us with prayer. If we are limited, what happens is that gradually all this dirt and this fat and everything else accumulates on the pipes, doesn't it? And eventually, and the hair and all these other bits ends up blocking it up. They say running under London, if you look at the, the, sewage, work, the, like the sewage pipes under London, they are massive. And there are like lumps of fat that are floating along that are the size of double-decker buses floating under London. Because when we pour all our fat down the sink from our frying pans and everything else, it just forms into massive kind of vats. And what happens is that these get blocked up. And when it gets blocked up, then the water that wants to flow through can't because it gets blocked. And Paul is saying the same thing here with us. God has all the power that we need to accomplish everything he wants us to accomplish. But, he says, it's according to the measure, let me read it, according to his power that is at work within us. So the amount that we allow his power to work within us is the amount that we will see. You want to see God working in your life? You need to allow the power of God to flow through you. You need to kind of get the Drano down in your system, not literally, by the way. That's really dangerous. But get your spiritual Drano to come down and clean out your system so that the power of God, the Holy Spirit, can flow through you in increasing measure. You want to be able to pray like Martin Luther prayed? Then allow God to clean you out so that he can flow his spirit through you so that you will have that same power, that same authority that you see in him. You want to see the same way that Jesus prayed? You want to see the same things that Jesus did? Then allow the Spirit of God to clean you out so that He can flow through you. You see, it's limited by a number of things. 
Firstly, he gives us power. Why? To love, he says. I'm going to give you power in your innermost being in verse 16. Why? So that you may be rooted and established in love and may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Jesus said it in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first and the greatest commandment. He says the amount that you love God and the amount that you love your neighbor will determine the amount of power that you will see in your life. It's just the way it works. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Actually, let me tell you, let me tell you one example of that. There's a guy, an American Pentecostal preacher called Judson Cornwall. Just after the Second World War was over, he was invited to go and speak at a renewal conference in Germany. The problem was that this fellow Judson, he had a resentment towards the German people because of the war and what had happened. And he didn't want to go. He got the invitation, he screwed it up, and he threw it in his bin. His wife, when she was cleaning out, she emptied the bin, and she saw this screwed up invitation, and she wondered what it was. So she opened it, spotted the invitation, she smoothed it out, and she left it on his study desk. When he came back into his study, he saw it there, just staring at him again. And he put it under a load of paper. So there's no point just putting it in the bin because it'll just come back out again. And it haunted him. He couldn't get it out of his head. It just kept on reminding him and reminding him and reminding him. And then finally he agreed to go. He went over to Germany. He arrived. He went to the conference center. The conference center where they were having this revival meeting turned out to be one of the former headquarters of the SS, Hitler's elite guard. And that just aroused a whole load of feelings within inside of him and a whole load of hatreds. He spent two days before the conference praying and fasting and preparing himself and avoiding everybody else. He didn't want to talk to any of the German people that were there. And so he said, no, no, I can't, I can't come out and socialize. I can't come out and meet anybody. I need, I need to pray and fast and prepare. But really, it was just because he didn't want to go and see anybody. When the first night of the conference came, he went down to speak. He looked at his uh, translator that they provided for him, and he really didn't like her at all. She was a stereotypical Aryan lady. Blonde hair, hair in a bun, blue eyes. And he just came and he delivered his sermon And nothing happened. And he walked off. He was so dejected when he got back to his room that he said, this is just such a waste of time, I'm going home. And so he turned around and he would prepare to go, go home the next day. He was dejected, he felt humiliated, and he cried himself to sleep. And in the night he was woken up with voices in his mind that says, you don't belong here. You have no authority here. Why don't you just go home? What a waste of time. But he recognized that this was the enemy trying to attack him. And so he started to rebuke those voices and say, get out of my head. I don't want to listen to you. And finally, after prayer, the voices went 
and he went back to sleep, only in an hour later to be woken up again. And he prayed some more and the voices went and he went back to sleep and he woke up again the third time. And he prayed and he said, Lord, what is going on? Why do I hear these voices that keep saying, you don't belong here, you have no authority here, go home. And the Lord said to him, you know those voices that are tormenting you? It's because you do not have authority here. You have no authority here because you do not love these people. Your authority to minister is related to your love for whom to those that you minister. You can either pack up your things and go home and carry on hating these people for the loss of the war and all that that caused. Or you can let me love them through you. He spent the rest of the night in prayer. And by morning, he felt that that resentment and that racism and that prejudice in his heart had left. He came out and he went to breakfast with everybody there. Everybody looked at him and wondered what was going on. And he saw his translator standing there in the queue and he went up to her and he gave her, put his arms around her and gave her a big kiss. And she pulled back and she said, what are you doing? You hate us. He said, no, 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 I don't hate you. That was yesterday. Today, I love you. You know, that morning he preached a message and the power of God just flowed through him. God was in those words that he spoke. And at the end of that sermon, there was a huge line of people wanting to come and speak with him personally. Because of the loss that they felt during the war and all the, the, the feelings that they had had and all the struggles that they had. And one by one, as those people came, he was able to help them forgive the Americans for everything they had done in the bombings and everything else at the end of the war and bring unity and harmony again. You see, prayer and the power of prayer is directly related to love. If you do not love people, you cannot pray for them effectively. If you are not wanting just the best for them, then prayer will dry up and be pointless. The power of prayer, Scripture says over and over and over again, is directly related to how much we love. That's why here he says power, 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 but it's all to do with love. Love yourself, love God, love your neighbor. And then you will see the power of prayer in your life. That's P. R stands for relational. Look at what he says. It concerns the whole Trinity. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inmost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's relational. We kneel before the Father. We'll come back to this, but kneeling is all about submission, isn't it? There's two ways you see people kneel in movies. One way is, is like this. He goes, Jessica, will you marry me? 
No. Oh, okay, that's... I've just been talking about love, you know. Like. Now, that's one of the ways you see love or uh, kneeling in, the, in, in movies, isn't it? I, I don't know how to carry on now. I think I'm just going to go and cry. Now, the other way is, you know, like this. Ronnie, I'm not going to ask you to marry me, I'm telling you. Don't get excited. Get on your knees. Now, the other way in movies is, is when you have a gun pointing at your head, isn't it? It's usually like this. This is my gun, by the way. And you say, on your knees! Right? And that is a form of what? Submission. It's always the way. Every, every movie, isn't it? Freeze! Get on your knees. And then they're down there. All right, you can get up now. That's all right. Right? There's those two ways. But both are ways of submission. When a guy goes to a woman and gets on his knee, what is he doing? He's really submitting to her and saying, I'm begging you, please marry me. And you, you get down on your knees and you look up because you're saying, I want to submit. I want to I wanna be, I'm showing how much I love you by this act of getting on my knees. Or you force someone else on their knees and they submit. And here, what does Paul do? He says, I get on my knees. I kneel before the Father. Normally, in their culture, they wouldn't kneel at all for prayer. When I was in the Czech Republic, they always used to, they pray there like they used to in the Bible. Everybody stands to pray. It's really weird in the Czech Republic. They all stand to pray and they sit to sing, except the last hymn. Then they stand because then they're ready to leave. But it's the way they do it. And that's the way it used to be done. You would stand to pray. There's, there's no account in the scriptures of anybody sitting to pray. You either lie face down or you stand. But here, Paul is saying, I'm kneeling before the Father. I'm in submission to the Father. And I'm praying through His Spirit because the Spirit is the vehicle of prayer so that Christ may dwell. Christ is always the focus of our prayers. And it finishes off that focus needs to be the glory of Christ. The deeper, the more intimate we become with Jesus, the more effective our prayer will be. But prayer is relational. It's about getting in touch with God and allowing God into all of our lives. That's what I mean about clearing ourselves out. It's about allowing Him to just come in and soak us and fill us with His presence. You know, my wife's been away for the last 10 days visiting her mum. One of the things I'm just going to dash off after this service, so the sermon's going to get cut short. So, no, I'm not. But, uh, you know, one of the things, you can, we've been texting one another. We've had the odd little conversation on, on uh, WhatsApp and so on. But one of the things you know, I really miss is that she's just not been around. You know, you sit there of an evening and you're going like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm fed up with watching television. I don't want to do this. Because normally I just spend time chatting. You just spend time hanging out together. And they're not necessarily deep conversations, but it's someone that you can just talk to and share with and be there with. And it's like that with Jesus. He's saying it's relational. It's not like a two-minute little WhatsApp message or a little text or a Facebook update. Being with Jesus is like being with the closest friend 
It's like talking day in and day out. It's like texting throughout the day when you're both at work. It's, it's just like hanging out together. It's relational. And the more time, that's why it says in Philippians, pray without ceasing. Say in Philippians or Thessalonians, one or the other. But it's, it's like, just keep on praying. Keep in that communion with God. You know, I read recently, do you know how, how much the average Christian, not that there is an average Christian, but how much time they spend in prayer every day? Do you know what the average is? One minute. Pastors are, are much, much better, you understand. How much do you think pastors is? Five minutes. Five minutes a day for a pastor, one minute a day for a believer. Now, what kind of relationship could you build up with someone if you only spoke to them for one minute a day? On average. So that means if you have a seven-minute conversation, you won't talk to them the rest of the week. What kind of relationship, what kind of depth of relationship would you build I do not know any couple that are proposing to be married that only spends one minute a day talking to them. Do you know? The phone disappears when they're, you know, they've been there all day long. They come home and what do they do? They phone each other up straight away. Oh, I love you so much. I can't help being with you. Why is it in our relationship with Jesus do we think that one minute a day or even five minutes a day is sufficient? You want to see the power of God working through your life? You'll never see it on one minute a day or five minutes a day. You want to see churches growing? You'll never see it on five minutes a day. Because how can the, the power of God flow through us if all we're doing is, is giving him five minutes a day to transform us? It's just not going to happen. And Paul here knows this and he's saying to the church there, just Get real with God. He has all this power available, all this opportunity available. Get to know Him. Third thing is asking. He says, ask. Ask for strength. Ask for insight. Ask for filling in verse 19. Jesus said it, Matthew 7, 7. Ask, seek, and knock. He, he delights when we ask him for things. But when we ask, the focus needs to be what it says in verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We need to ask knowing that he is going to get the glory. You know, I'd love to have an Audi TT. I don't know why I like that car, but I really love that car. I could pray to God for the rest of my life saying, Lord, I really, really, really want an Audi TT. Give me an Audi TT. I'm a pastor of a church. A pastor needs an Audi TT. You know, and your mind starts thinking of all these reasons why you know, it's got a spare seat. I could, I could take people to the hospital and things. It's got a tiny boot that's useless to anybody. But you know, an, a pastor needs an Audi TT. Just think how much glory it would give you, Lord, if I had an Audi TT. And that's the problem. How much glory would it really give God? Zero. I joke about it. 
But I'm not expecting God ever to give me an Audi TT. Why? Because it won't give him any glory at all. He's saying to me, you've got a Ford Focus. It's got four seats. You can take three people up to the hospital if you want to. It gets you from A to B. It's a fine car. Just keep on using it. You know, it's about giving God the glory. And it even goes to the point of saying things like, Lord, I'd love for you to fill Trinity Church. But you need to examine your heart. And that comes on to the next bit, which is why. Why is yielding? We need to be yielded to Him. You see, I can pray and say, Lord, fill Trinity Church. But I can pray it because I want it filled. Or I can pray it because He wants it filled. I can pray it because then I will be the minister of the largest church in the United Reformed Church and I can go strutting my stuff every time I go to meetings. Or I can pray it because God wants to fill His church. And he has all the glory. And I don't strut anywhere. I just humbly go and continue to be his servant. You see, so often our brain starts rationalizing things, doesn't it? We say, Lord, this has got to be a good thing, so please do it for me. When actually it's for me and not for him. We need to check our hearts and say, Lord, it's got to be for your glory. And being yielded to him being on our knees before Him, is about Him receiving the glory in Christ alone. You know, we pray it in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will here, Lord. If you don't want to fill your church, then don't let me pray for it. Because it's not my will, but your will be done. If you want to fill it, then I want to pray for it. What is it you want me to do, Lord? How do you want me to pray? And prayer comes through the channel of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's all about God's will. You want power in your prayer? Then get in tune with God so that you know His will. And then when you pray through His will, you will see the results. He will never let you down, and everything you do will be for His glory. Because it's That's what it's all about. It's about glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't do that as a secondary thing. That has to be the primary thing. It's everything that God wants. God is a jealous God. He wants His Son, Jesus Christ, to be glorified. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Every prayer that we pray needs to be able to, we need to be able to say at the end of it, Amen, which means, God, you take the glory for this. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with you. And when we ask Him for those things, when we ask and He receives the glory, then we know that we're asking right. Dr. Dixon was the minister at Spurgeon's Tabernacle. He said this, when we speak on the, he was speaking on the theme of prayer. He said, when we rely on organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we rely on education, we get what education can do. When we rely on eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. And then he carried on for a bit. And then he said at the end, but when we rely on prayer, we get what God can do. And when we give him the glory, we will then see the power of God 
on what God can do working in us and through us. God's prayers are powerful. They're relational. They're asking. They're yielded. They're also expectant. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. What do you imagine that God could do? What can God do? Anything and everything. So he can do even more than everything and anything. That's what it says. Do you think God can transform London or Harrow? Well, he can do even more than that. God can do everything and anything. If God can create the whole world and set the whole thing in motion somehow or other, he can do anything and everything. If God can send his own son Jesus Christ down, if God has the whole of history somehow mapped out in his, in his mind and sees everything so that nothing can go outside of the plans that he has and the fruition of history, he can do everything and anything. And he does even more. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, not just a little bit more, but way, way more than all that we could ask or imagine. But it's according to his power that is at work within us. So if you start loving, if you start, if we start loving, if we start opening ourselves up and spending time in our relationship with Jesus, what he says is that you will see that power of God working in and through you so that you will do even immeasurably more than you could ever think is even possible through you. That's the promise that you have here in the Bible. That God wants to use you, wants to flow through you to do immeasurably more according to the power that is at work within you. Jesus showed this in Mark's gospel. Let's just turn there really quickly before we close. In Mark chapter 9. Do you remember this story where this father brings his son that has seizures to him with an evil spirit? And the the father brings the son to him. and, And first of all, the father brings the son to the disciples and says, Help, I need some help with my son. And the disciples, it says, in Mark 9, 17, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him into the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. And then look down in verse 21. He says, Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help him. He says, if I can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And then look at what happens at the end. So Jesus then heals the guy, the the child. And then the disciples come to him afterwards in verse 28 and 29. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, with prayer, through prayer, you have the whole resources of God at your disposal. 
you could have driven out that demon out of that boy. You could have healed him. But it's only done through prayer, through love, and through the power of God flowing in you and through you. And at that time in their ministry, even though he'd sent them out and he'd seen them, they they began to doubt. They didn't quite understand. And questions started coming into their lives. And they couldn't accomplish what God wanted them to accomplish. It was only after Jesus had died and been raised again that they then understood and they had the belief and the trust in the power of God through their lives of prayer to be able to go and do the things that he asked them to do. And it's the same for you and me. You want to see Jesus Christ glorified in your life? Then spend time praying. Spend time communicating with him. Say, Lord, search me and know me. Know my inmost thoughts. If there's anything in me that's not of you, take it away from me. Lord, cleanse me out. Pour that spiritual draino down my, my, into my soul. Clean me so that I may be a complete channel for you. And then help that channel to grow and grow and grow so it's bigger and bigger and bigger. So that the power of God will be evidenced through my life. So that I will know that when I pray to you, I will be talking directly to the Father through the Spirit, giving glory to the Son. And then I know that what I say, what I pray will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the last R is all about revealing. The power of prayer reveals the glory of Jesus Christ. When I ask something of God, I always need to ask, how does this glorify Christ? Does it? What does it reveal about me when I pray? Lord, really like an Audi TT, what does that say about me? That I'm shallow and then I'm not happy with a Ford. I want an Audi. You know, what does that really say about me? Oh, Lord, I love your church to grow. Lord, I want you to use me for your glory. Lord, I want to surrender myself to you. Take me and use me. Does it glorify Jesus Christ? You know, prayer is vital. It's not only vital for you and me in our personal lives, in facing the challenges, but it's vital in seeing the kingdom come and his will be done. You know, God wants to transform Harrow. He wants to transform London. He wants to transform the United Kingdom. He wants to transform this world. And he's going to do that as we open ourselves up to the power of God. He said, I could come down and I could just go and do it like that. But I would rather come down and flow through you and me. I want you to open yourselves up to the power of God. So that in every situation you find yourself in, in every moment that you find yourself in, you have the power of God there flowing through you. You're just like a live wire that's, that's there, just about a, somebody plugs in and the light comes on. Because that power is there within us to bring the transformation that God longs to bring for His glory and for Him alone. That's what He wants for you and me. That's what He's asking us to become. 
I want you to think right now in your own life. What do you need to do? What do you need to do to allow that presence of God to flow through you? What do you need to do to receive the power that he longs to give you in your life? What do you need to do to ask God to to clean you out? Are there changes that you need to make in your life? Are you a one minute a day believer? Or even a five minute a day pastor? Because then we're limiting the power of God. If we want to see Harrow transformed for his glory, London, United Kingdom, then we need to get serious about our lives of prayer. About allowing him to just come and flow through us for his glory. So that we may be like Martin Luther or like many, many believers that have gone before. You know, these people aren't special. They're no different to you and me. They just had lives that were lives of prayer, connected with the Father, through the Spirit, for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And then they saw what the power of God could do in the places where he put them. Let's pray. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Lord, fill us with your presence. Clear us out where there are deposits of rubbish in our lives. Help us to search us, examine us, so that we may transform ourselves through your presence, that you would transform us, so that we may have access to more and more of the power of your Spirit, being able to flow in us, in our lives, in our situations, in our workplaces, in our homes, in ourselves, in your church, in your community in the people who are walking in darkness that need to see your light and receive your power. Connect us, Lord Jesus, to you. Help us to love you like we've never loved you before, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And from that love, that we would reach out and love our neighbor just as you love them. Lord, fill us, we pray. Our soul is thirsty for you. Not for ourselves, but that we might accomplish everything you want from us and want to do through us for your glory. For we ask this in the name of Christ.